down to Fano. Hey. Man, it does feel like a long time since I've been up here. Um, it was the end of July, I think, the last time I actually preached. So I'm going to be a bit rusty this morning, so bear with me. Um, not only that, but uh, a bit nervous as well, which is quite interesting. The wonderful thing about worship, though, is no matter how nervous you can be before preaching, it just centers you, right? And I know some of you don't like music and, and all that, but for me, it's a blessing. So thank you, guys. Thank you, team, for leading us in worship. Um, yeah, I have been away a long time, and I've, been, I've noticed new people here, uh, and it's strange coming into the church that I've been a part of for almost eight years now and seeing new people and not knowing people. So that's been really cool. Um, I forgot how cold New Zealand is. And, and I've forgotten about my allergies, because for three months, I hadn't had to scratch my eyes. Yeah, but it is definitely a beautiful place. We are blessed in this country, even if the weather is what it is. Okay, so gone for a long time, three months, um, well, almost, yeah, a lot longer, but um, so three months, I spent some time in Australia, went to see my mum and my little sister and the family there. Then I went to Ireland for a month for my sabbatical time, just a, a, a retreat for myself. And then Monica met me in Madrid where my other sister lives, and then we kind of travel around for a little bit, the two of us. Then we met up with uh, our, our close friends, Alan and Bex, and we just went crazy all over the south of Spain and Morocco. Um, came back through Singapore, and now I'm here. But in all of that, and there's a lot to talk about in that regards, okay, um, I just want to focus on one four-week period in Ireland. I went to this little place called Glendalough. I don't know if you can see it up here, but it's right down the bottom here. I circled it in red. You can see where Dublin is up there. It's this little nothing town. It makes Thai Happy look like a metropolis. That's how small this place is. There's a pub, there's a gift shop, there's a restaurant, and there's a corner store that seconds also as a service station. And that was my source of food for my whole time there was the corner store. Um, that's why I lost weight, guys. <laughs> um, it literally is in the middle of nowhere. There's a bus that operates twice a day, once in the morning and once in the evening to Dublin. And outside of that, if you don't have a car, well, good luck. But I loved it. I struggled, but I loved it. Um, I stayed at this place um, called the Hermitage. That's what it looks like from my little, they call them Hermitages, they're like little cottages. Um, and in this place that I was in, there were only five of them, five um, hermitages. Mine is actually right behind this photo, facing the other two there on the left, and then there's another two on the side. To the left of this, if you walk down that little pathway to the left, you go up a little bit, you end up at St. Kevin's Parish, the church, uh, which I'll get into in a little bit later. Uh, and then to the right of that, uh, there's that, that's the uh, welcoming cottage there, and that's where we had our prayer sessions. And then down on the little, well, they call it a main road in Ireland, but it really isn't a main road. Um, it's like a country road. And, it, and, and going down this way, you come to what they call the monastic. And um, my thing's bouncing, isn't it, Pete? Um, maybe I'll take my jacket. Um, man, it's like I've got... 
How's that? Oh, that's better. Okay. So that's the monastic site as it looked like a thousand years ago. There's a nice little information center there, and they've got this nice little... Uh, this is what it looks like right now. Um, not much of it's left. Now, I purposely chose this place, and I purposely chose the Hermitage. The Hermitage only has five little cottages, and they're usually booked out. The last time I went on sabbatical five years ago, I wanted to get in there, but I couldn't because they were booked out. So I booked well in advance this time. Now, this area was first settled by St. Kevin in 600 AD. He came into the valley and he set up a monastic community um, and, and that monastic community grew as people around uh, came to live with the monks there who were uh, transit, well, they were just copying the Bible uh, pages for other communities around Ireland. That was their job. But these families came and they, their kids grew there, they grew food there and all, and the community grew. It was an intentional Christian community centered around monastic living. And it was extraordinary. There's a lot written about it. There's a lot that went on. And it wasn't idealistic in any way, shape, or form because by 800, the Vikings arrived. And so for the next 200 years, they were living in fear of being pillaged and sacked, not just by the Vikings, later the Saxons, and after them the Normans, and after them the English. So it was a bit of a rough ride for them at times. You never knew when danger was coming. But the community grew, and it grew so much that um, because they wanted to keep to this kind of monastic life, um, because it was growing, they built little chapels all over the valley so that people, if they wanted to go be on their own and just commune with God, because the community they were in was getting a little bit too big, they had these chapels that you could go to and just spend some quiet time in nature with God. And by 1000 AD, they converted the old wooden buildings to stone so that it could be a little bit more permanent. So those remnants there are over 1,000 years old. Now, if you look to your left, there's a road that runs into the forest there. It comes to another road that runs east-west. So you've got a lake you can see there, and then there's a bigger lake even further down. The road runs all the way down there. It was built at around about 800 AD so that they could start building these little chapels along the way that people could just go and commune with nature and God. And they call it the Green Lane. And um, this is a photo of me just coming across the bridge on that road, and it's the intersection there where the Green Lane runs this way and that. And these little churches, these little chapels are all over the place. You could walk for kilometers and you encounter them. They're all in ruin now because by about the 16th century, 16th, 17th century, um, uh, the church had kind of established itself in Dublin at that point, and so they were getting the monks to move up there, and with the monks gone, the place kind of fell in disrepair until the 19th century when they realised the importance of what this community was, and so they've, they've actually kind of looked after it now and made it a national park. This is my favourite church, the Refurt Church. It's down towards the Big Lake. Um, the O'Toole family who were kings, uh, a line of kings in the region, um, it became um, important for them, this church, because this is where the kings were crowned, in this little chapel. Um, and the gravestones are so old that um, you don't know actually who's buried there because the stone's worn 
completely away. There's no writing on them. So they don't actually know who's buried there, which is fascinating. And this is um, the lake. That's the big lake. And the road runs along the side of the mountain all the way to the other side. Um, it was just amazing. Uh, my room looked like that. It's quite cute. Now, I had been most probably close to burnout by the time we got to July. didn't acknowledge it at the time. Still struggle to acknowledge it now. But I was getting to the point where I was really peopled out. Been four years of hard slogging work. And I made the mistake of saying, I'm going to go to Australia to see mum and my little sister and family. And it was actually just as busy in Australia as it was here. And so after three weeks there, I was like, I've got to get out of here. And so got on the plane, got to Ireland thinking, finally, I'm going to be on my own. Sister Peggy, who manages um, or kind of facilitates the little hermitage area, you know, she pulled me aside when I arrived. She said, hey, Rob, we do prayer time in the morning and evening if you want to join. You don't have to join us. You can do whatever you want. And I quite, you know, typical Rob fashion going, no, I'm fine. I, I, I'm here to be on my own. Um, I don't want to interact. I just, just need some focal time just being God. And I walked into this room and within 10 minutes I was freaking out. It was silent. It was quiet. No one was nagging me. There were no dishes to be done. There was no sermon to write. There was no reports to read. And I did not sleep that night. I literally went into freakout mode. I didn't know what to do. So I remember Peggy told me 9.45 a.m., 6 p.m. prayer time. So the morning finally came. I got up and I thought I better go to prayer time. Now, prayer time was my saviour. You know, we take prayer for granted sometimes. Sometimes we just are different to many other faith beliefs in the world. We have a rhythm to our prayers or a rhyme to our prayers. We say it off the top of our heads. But for me, as a pastor, you'd think I'd know better. But prayer time for me changed everything. It centered me. It put me in my place. It reconnected me with God. And Paul P, she wasn't, uh, this is a faithful woman that every morning and every evening she shows up, no matter who's going to be there, whether there's somebody or not. And most of the time it was just her and I. But sometimes we had four or five other people there, depending who was visiting at the time or who wanted to be a part of it. And she did it the same every time. We started with a centering prayer, you know, usually in silence, sometimes with a bit of music. Sometimes she would read a poem. But it would just be a time to just kind of acknowledge God's presence in this one space, this room that she had. And we sat quietly a lot of the times. And then we would do a lectio. We would read the Bible, usually a psalm, but it could be anything. And we would not just read it for reading it, we would just sit on the words. And sometimes reading three or four verses, it would take us 10, 15 minutes. And then after that, we had reflection and sometimes, and or both times, intercession. Sometimes she would share with me what God was saying to her, what was impacting her. Sometimes, you know, someone from here, a lot of the times, would come over my mind 
and I would speak their name and we would pray for them. It was powerful stuff. And here I am thinking, you know, I've got all this knowledge and all this experience. And here I am learning all over again. It was amazing. And like a good pastor, Baptist pastor, I'm going to give you three points of what I've learned in that time. And a lot of it has to do for not just for us individually or or even for me, a lot of it has to do with us as an intentional community of God's people, as a kind of a mini Glendalock in a sense. So, first question is this, what came before? Uh, Breaking it down, this is the way she said it to me. She would always say to me, Rob, what came before? She'd say it in an Irish accent, I can't do an Irish accent. but she would say, what came before? And I always started thinking, uh, what, what, what did come before? Um, God, um, the universe, then, then, then earth, and then, 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 no, 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 what became before you? Like, what? She wanted to know my family history. She wanted to know how I got to where I am right there. And then she said, not many people come here and stay four weeks. They usually come here and stay two, three days. Why are you staying here four weeks? So the question she was actually asking me, what has God done? What has he been doing to lead you to this point? And that was a fascinating question. So we unpacked that over time. The question I want to ask you, what has God done for you that you are now here this morning? Now, for some of you, it's just what you've done. You've gotten up in the morning and it's Sunday, we've got to go to church, and now here I am. So what, what do you want me to say, Rob? I don't know. But what has God done for you to have you here in this moment, sitting here looking at me, listening? What has God done for you? It's fascinating because Jesus, I mean, the the, the New Testament begins with what? Huh? What went before? What is it? What's Matthew chapter 1, verse 1? What does that start with? Now, you know, good old theologians will say, well, Matthew is about proving to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. If that was the case, he wouldn't have written this genealogy, by the way, because a whole bunch of women in it. There's something going on here that tells a story. And if the Jews could just understand this genealogy, they'd understand Jesus a whole lot better. If some of us could just understand this genealogy, we would understand Jesus a whole lot better. And frankly, if we understood what brought us here this morning, what led us up to this point in our lives right here, right now, then we and the people around us would understand a whole lot better. Matthew chapter 1, and God, I mean, throughout the whole Old Testament, and Jesus reminds the Pharisees, God always introduces himself with the past. He doesn't say, I am the God of the universe, I'm here, hello. He starts with, I am the God of what? This is what I've done. 
this is me. What came before? At Glendalock, they're very intentional about who they are because of what came before, what God had been doing in their midst. What God had revealed to them time and again over 1,400 years. And they are very intentional of keeping true to that. And in a sense, we as God's community, we're here because of the intention of those who have come before us. If you're new to our church, we weren't always here. I think this year we're 96 years old, I think. Next year, 97, if, I, if I've got the numbers right. And we've only been really in this place since 2008. There were communities before us who sought to discern God's will for us that have brought us here. You, as an individual, God has been working in your life to bring you to this point. Are you aware of how he's moved? Have you stopped to just dwell on that? What came before? The next question, which is the one that really rocked me, um, is what lies around. Again, in her really strong Irish accent, which at times I had to have her repeat because I, I, I couldn't understand. And she's classic Irish. She's got like 12 brothers and sisters. And, and, and they have like 12 dozen kids themselves. She goes, I've lost count of how many nieces and nephews I have. I said, yeah, the weather is a bit harsh here, isn't it? Um, <laughs> But she said, what lies around was one question she asked me. And I wrote it down and I, I, I was able to kind of think, okay, the question that she's asking me is, what are you doing? What lies around? You know, when I came home after so many weeks, the first thing I looked around the house was what's lying around, right? Poor Bella. You can imagine she was a little bit stressed before mum and dad were coming home cleaning up and everything. But I'm saying this obviously not in the physical sense. I'm saying what's lying around your life right now? What's going on? Now, I found Glendalock um, initially the first week quite frustrating. You know, this is the church right next door, St. Kevin's. Uh, I'm taking that photo from uh, the cemetery there that, that was, I mean, it's a lovely place. It's huge, Right? When I first arrived at Glendalock, you know, I, I, I made the comment to Peggy. I said, you know, this place is so big. Why do you only have five hermitages? You could easily fit another 20 here, and then we wouldn't have to be booked out. You could make a heap of money out of it. And she's just like, yeah, no, that's not what we're about. And, of course, I'm the pragmatic Baptist pastor who's thinking space, and I go over to the church next door, and I'm like, they've got even more room. Look at all this space. Uh, there's an, uh, this is a photo from above, right, below just, you see the tree there at the bottom, there, just below there's a tree line, and that's where the hermitages are, right? And I'm looking at all this space. This is a photo I took in front of the church. They've got three prayer walks. Not one, not two, they've got three. There's one up the top in the right-hand corner, there's one right here in the middle here, and the other one goes off into the bushes. And I'm thinking you could have a children's playground, you could set up a, you know, a, a water theme park here. You know, imagine how many people would come to this place, 
Where's the barbecue, by the way? Because every good Baptist church needs a barbecue. So I'm thinking all this stuff, and I am missing the point. But of course, you know, my, my, my pet peeve in times of, of some of these churches is you go into them, and they're big spaces fit for just one purpose. One service once a week. Try moving those pews. And so I, 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 it just irked me how much space there is and the only one that's benefiting it at this point is me. And that's when the ding happened. I love that we Baptists are pragmatic. I love it. Fits me to a T. Every room in this building can be something else, including this. Move the chairs aside. We had the youth have their big dinners in here. It's great. We're pragmatic. We can make... Things happen. But I think we miss it. My life is pragmatic. I'm always thinking, what should I be doing with my time? How can I be more useful? But that is not actually the way our God works. You know, when the temple was built, The temple's huge. And right at the top of the temple, one guy with clay designed 144 pomegranates. Right at the top. And put them up there in a circle up the top there. Guess who was able to see those? No one else but God. What a waste of time. Think about it. What are you doing? No one's going to see these pomegranates. Well, God is. Yeah, he sees your tension in your heart. Just do one. Pragmatism. 144 pomegranates for an audience of one. All this land, all this space. Three prayer walks for an audience of one. Christ body died for us but for you and you for an audience of a million and a billion but also for an audience of one that is you I I was so challenged by this actually broken by this it took me a few days to just kind of mull over it and then I started thinking what can we do here that we sacrifice a space that may end up only ever being for an audience of one. That that one person might encounter God in that space because we have been intentional about leaving that space for prayer and connection and God. Not upheaval and, and, and throwing in a barbecue in there or, or a, a meeting or, or some sort of, um, I don't know, other activity but just giving it up. The Anglicans, the Catholics, they do it so well. And sometimes us pragmatic Baptists just miss the point. This was my biggest challenge. Proverbs 27, 19 says this, as the water reflects the face, so one life, one's life reflects the heart. I want my life 
And I'm not doing a good job of it so far, but I really want my life to reflect Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. When I walk into this place and I've been away for a while, can we honestly say it reflects Jesus? Now, we know to some degree it does. But if anyone knew anything else, they just see empty rooms, pragmatic spaces that might get rented out. All good stuff. But we're missing something. Just like I was missing time. And I'm not talking about quiet time on a daily basis. Don't fall for that trap. We need to shut down and just refocus our eyes on God. We need to do that regularly. But as a church, we need to provide a space for that to happen too. Just like these guys have. Talking about pragmatism, when 2012, when I was in Jerusalem, this is a model at the, the, universe, at the um, Museum of Jerusalem. This is a scale model of Jerusalem during the Second Temple era uh, at the time of Jesus. What stands out the most to you in all of that? The pomegranates, right? <laughs> I'm looking for it. Where can I see it? That's, honestly. What stands out? There's a whole suburb. Look on the left there, these little guys. They're houses. Look how many of them there are. And look at how big that temple mount is. You can't play football in the temple courts. The kids aren't allowed to run around in there. <laughs> you are awesome. You can run around in here, by the way. We are very pragmatic about that. That's awesome. But do you see the difference? Do you see the impact? When anyone comes over the hill and sees Jerusalem, what is the first thing they're going to say? Look at the street, uh, the, the tree-lined avenues, right? Can, can you see those? They're going to see God's glory. Whoa, these guys are serious about God. They're pretty serious about God, hey. This is the prayer room at the, uh, at the Hermitage. Every, every morning she'd do something different. She'd have something prepared. Every morning she just did little tweaks of adding little things to it. Every evening the same. She does it voluntary. It's not actually her job. Every morning, whether I show up or I don't show up, she's ready for it. She prepares it. Just a space so that when you walk into this space, you just are almost forced to just stop. What came before? What lies around? And the last one she's hit, she hit me with is, obviously what lies within, which doesn't really need much of a translation, but basically the way I looked at it was, how does the outside reflect the inside? And you know, Peggy was amazing. This is on the day that I was leaving. It was beautiful Irish weather. Uh, wind was blowing at about 100 kilometers an hour. The rain was sideways and it was freezing cold. It was wonderful uh, November, October weather. Um, and she drove me down to the bus stop to save me from having to walk down, which is what I was going to do. 
She goes, oh, you can't walk in that. I'm like, no problem. She drove me down, which was actually quite scary. But anyway. <laughs> it, 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 it focused me to say, she is a far better pastor than I will ever be. <laughs> it was amazing. And, and the thing that she taught me through this constant prayer wasn't so much interceding for other people or lifting up supplications to God, you know, concerns, and, or, or it was just doing it with a grateful heart. She would spend, when she would reflect, it would be mostly out of thanksgiving. She'd use verses like Colossians chapter 3. She would say this, she'd say, let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts since as members together as one body, we're called to peace. Or like 1 Thessalonians, um, and be thankful, that was actually the end of verse 15. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, which she would obviously had memorized. She would just say, rejoice always. That's verse 16. That's it. Verse 17, pray continually. That's it. That's verse 17. And then verse 18 is this. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. Those of you who receive emails from me, you'll notice that I use this verse in all my emails at the bottom. It took Sister Peggy uh, 10,000 kilometers away to remind me that little verse that I write in my own emails, what it's actually all about. Amazing, huh? Amazing. So, to sum it up real quick, by the way, next week we'll get into really sermonizing. This week I'm playing on reflections. And I want to focus on these three points, what came before, what lies around, and what lies within for you and for us. My job is to make sure that I keep putting out front what the church has come, where we've come from, our journey. That's part of my job, to make sure that we, are, we honor that journey. So while new people come to our church and they've got great ideas and have great insights, we always honor those who came before us, whether we agree them or not, because they've shaped us to be who we are. I always have this love-anger relationship with my father. He's passed away years. Love him because I miss him. Angry because he was hard on me. Peggy taught me to just love him for what he gave. It's shaped me to be who I am. Not always grateful, <laughs> but always grateful. And what lies around? Yeah, look around. Look around your own life. I go home, and the first thing I see are my planes. Obviously, you can see where my heart is. But what lies around, just reflect on where you're at, but also let's reflect where we are at as God's community. Because like I was saying before in that membership thing, we're in this together. Don't just wait for Rob to come up with the uh, mountaintop experience. 
or with the great insights. I'd love to hear yours because what lies around is part of yours as well. And lastly, a little bit more personally, what's, what's going on inside? When have you taken time out to just kind of unpack what's going on inside of you? How it is that in this moment, in this time, in this space, in this place, and so many things could have changed in your life to not allow you to be here this morning, but you are here now. Sitting right there, looking at me, listening. What brought you to this space and place? Some of you don't need to go all the way to Ireland to figure that one out. I'm a little bit more hard-headed and I needed to go that far. That's your challenge this week, to just kind of dwell on those three points. Is that good? Can you do that? Amen. Let's ask the music team to come up. Next week we start on Advent so we get really into the meat and potatoes. If you think today wasn't enough. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your servants, Lord, who over the years have impacted our lives. Thank you for those who have honoured you who have played a part in bringing us to who we are today. Sometimes, Lord, we look back on that and we think of the hurts and the pains and there are so much, Lord, that oh, might need some healing over and unpacking. But we're here, Lord. We're here. And sometimes we don't acknowledge the journey that you've brought us on. And sometimes we don't understand the journey you've brought us on. And for some of us, we're even angry about the journey you have us on. Lord, pray for your Holy Spirit to continue to work into our hearts as your people and as your community because it is our heart to see your kingdom come in this place, in this suburb and city that we live in, in this country. Father, It might be those proverbial Vikings that are attacking us constantly. But Father God, we pray as your people that your will be done. We thank you for those who've come before us. And Lord, we lift up what's going on within us for your glory, to honor your name and to see your kingdom come in Jesus' name. Amen.